Okay, good morning everybody, good to see you all. Um, and uh, we're going to uh, really continue uh, this series that we've started in the I Ams. And um, uh, my uh, slide, my talk is, eventually, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. <coughs> and um, with these I Ams, Jesus is giving himself a, a name or a title. Now, if you were here last week and awake, because talking to Denzel earlier, the two are not necessarily synonymous, because um, I, I do notes for um, uh, his wife and um, Dorothy, and uh, he, sometimes he reads them at home, and he said he finds great chunks that he's never heard before. Um, that obviously. Is what it is? So, but if you remember last week, those of you who were here, I'm not quite sure exactly what the circumstances are, and I'm probably going to get bits wrong. But Peter came up and talked about names, which was quite significant. And he mentioned that when his uh, now daughter was expected, he thoroughly expected, completely expected a boy. And so what he did, he, he researched and, and looked at many, many boys' names, but only one girl's name. And so when he was presented uh, with a daughter, uh, uh, he, 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 first name, he only had one name, her name was going to be Adele. But when he phoned his mother and, and, and she said, what's his name? He said, just Adele. Um, and for several weeks, apparently, uh, uh, Adele's grandmother was convinced that her name was just Adele um, instead of just <laughs> Adele, no other name. And poor little Adele has only got one name. Is that right? We've got it all right. Okay. So names for us are important. But let's just look at these scriptures uh, that we've got. Now, I have deliberately missed a couple of verses out here and there. Um, so let's read this one together. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to the Lord, the, the Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I'm skipping down to verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep so then he told them plainly no Lazarus is dead and for your sakes I am glad I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him down to verse 17 on his arrival Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. 
when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, Martha, sorry, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, and these are the words, I am the resurrection and the life. Now anybody that's been to a funeral knows that when the coffin comes in, these are the words that Jesus uh, intones. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after this, she said this. He, she went back and called her sister, Mary, uh, aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out there, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn him there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Master Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there was a bad odour, for he had been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. When Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So that's uh, a story of Lazarus that we're going to look at uh, and try and unpack in a bit uh, of detail. And uh, we said that that the word that Jesus said, I am the resurrection life, we're going to come back to that one. Uh, Names, you know, are important. Not just to uh, poor Adele, who was called just Adele for a time, but they're important to help us uh, remember people. In the Middle Ages, uh, people had their names as their, their, as their profession. So if you were called Fletcher, you made arrows. arrows. Uh, if you were Miller, you made flour. Um, if you were Smith, 
you made you were a blacksmith. Um, if you're a baker, you made bread. Enough <laughs> cakes, bread. Yeah, you're right though. Um, and uh, a mason was a a builder, a stone worker. In Scotland, they, they are uh, identified much more by clans. So MacDougall or MacTavish, the Mac is the son of, son of Dougal, son of Tamish. Uh, yeah, Tamish. It helps some people uh, in society uh, to place you where you were by name. Uh, but also in the 1900s particularly, um, the name of your school spoke volumes about you. And very often they would ask, often people would ask, people of my age, nearly 40, uh, would say to us, um, you know, what school do you go to? Now I haven't been to school for 50 years. What matters it what school I went to? But actually it helped people place people. So if you said, oh, I went to Eton, immediately that puts you in a bracket. Here was a guy whose family were either an, uh, uh, the aristocracy or very, very well, even today, very, very well. Or if you went to Harrow, just about the same. If you went to uh, a minor public school, it meant that your family were either upwardly mobile or possibly downwardly mobile. If you went to a grammar school, uh, then you would be uh, almost certain to go into a profession uh, like uh, law or accountancy or, or, or not nursing. Or no? No? No, you didn't either, did you? No, right? Well, you, there, there are the grammar school dropouts, of course, but generally speaking, <laughs> that's what it meant. Um, if you went to a secondary modern school... Um, Picking words very, very <laughs> carefully now. Or what is known as a bog standard comprehensive. You probably, you probably went into uh, the trades or... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, we, we, we went to my daughter's school, uh, which was a secondary modern. Uh, and, and, and the deputy head there was, was in fact... Um, uh, I, uh, this is how you do it, Rupert. Um, uh, the, the, the deputy head there was, he hadn't worked out, there's a little button on here that you could go, you make the screen go black. This is a bloke who's techie. Stick around, son, I'll teach you a thing or two. Um, <laughs> but when we went to this secondary school, um, uh, the, 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 we were talking to the deputy head about Gail, our eldest, and she said, well, you know, we, in this school, we turn out shop assistants and shorthand typists. That's what we see ourselves doing. And that's actually, schools did that in those days. Today, things are not quite so important. Names are not quite so important as people are more upwardly mobile or moving around much more in, in stratas in society, so we're led to believe uh, are breaking up and not there anywhere. Now, today, we live in a very visual world. We don't need family names to help us navigate. So if your name is Smith, like as not, you are not a blacksmith um, uh, uh, through life. Instead, because we're more consumer-orientated, we are so images with products. that true? Now, let's see if you can do some of these. Now, here are some images. What is that? Who makes it? Cadbury's chocolate. Well, actually, it's got it on there. But it doesn't say chocolate, does it? See, you know what it is immediately. What's that? <laughs> what, and what, what's the punchline that goes with it? 
Exactly. Right. Actually, probably one of the most successful punchlines. It's on there. I know it's on there. They're getting really good down here. Um, but actually, it's probably one of the most best ad punchlines that they, they, they brought out. So what's this then? Cornetto. Cornetto. Oh, <laughs> Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. What's that? That's the old one, isn't it? Oh, I knew, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You can be another, you be another one in a minute. You watch. What is it? It's an apple. It's an apple. It's a computer, sir. Computer. Yes. Actually, if you're if you're upwardly mobile and got loads of dosh, you can afford one of these. If you're not, you don't have one. That is why you and I have to ask. I'm not really aware that it's not the up-to-date image. Now, this is purely, this is purely for Peter. Come on, Peter, what is it? Um, <laughs> it's a letter of the alphabet, yes? Yes. <laughs> and no doubt, if you ask Peter later on, he will tell you when that style changed or when the, and, 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 and the year and all the rest of it. But that's Bentley's mark. Those are some of the signs... Uh, that we have. What's that one? Yeah. McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is meant to be serious, you know. This is actually the power of advertising. You can get two-year-olds and three-year-olds who know exactly what that sign means. They know where it is. It's a very powerful symbol. So we have. Uh, there are very powerful symbols. But you see, in the days of Jesus, few people were literate. And even if they were, the only things that they would have read were not books, because they didn't have them, were scrolls of the tip of the Torah, the, 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 the Old Testament. They would have had no art, no images. They were pretty well non-existent. If you think about it, very little art comes from the day of Jesus uh, in that area. So, in Jesus' day, there were no TV ads, there were no newspaper adverts, no pictures, no hoardings. People were then much more known by name or place of birth or by their occupation. So in Acts 10, you find that Peter is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner, uh, who, 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 t- who did leather. Uh, if in uh, the New Testament also, you find that Barnabas, uh, who, whose name is actually Bar, which means son, Abbas, of, a, of encouragement. He was an encouragement, uh, a man of prophetic vision. Paul was known, either as Saul or as Paul, from the place where he came from. Paul, or Saul, of Tarsus, his place of birth. So here's a question for you then. Have you ever thought what Jesus was called before his incarnation? Because the name Jesus doesn't actually appear in the Old Testament. And yet we believe as Christians he was there. So have you ever thought what his name was before? Sorry? Who's asking you? This is my talk. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You've, you've spoiled it for me. Don't worry. You're right. You're absolutely right. Take him outside, will you, and do something with him. In Isaiah 7.14, we've got some Bible scholars here, you see. Well, at least one. Um, we've got 
In Isaiah 7.14, we're told that on his birth, he's been to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Mary's told by the angel that he's to be called Jesus. But Jesus, as we've just said, existed before the creation of the world. He created everything. Nothing was created before him. He and the Father were one with the Spirit. And as uh, uh, Brian has correctly uh, said, John, in his opening gospel, in the very first few words of his opening gospel, names him as being the Word. What's the other word for Word? Logos. His name was Word. So he links the opening statement uh, in his gospel. The Word who was with God and was God. He links that actually to in the beginning was the word and in, in, the, in, in Genesis it says in the beginning so we have John taking us right the way back to the birth of creation and he gives us this word logos the word Jesus was the word in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and he that was his early name now the word uh, in Greek is logos which stands for the reason why. Now you're going to get some instrument in. You're going to wonder at this, <laughs> I hope. Um, now this word, this word logos is actually incorporated into many of our scientific words. It ends in ology. Do you remember that BT ad? You know, if you get an ology, you're, you're doing well. Okay. Well, Claire's seen it anyway. Um, Fleur's seen it. Fleur's seen it. I would call her Claire for some unknown reason. Can I go home now, please? Um, the word logos means ology. So meteor means weather, and ology means the study of weather. Does that make right? Okay. Um, you have the word psychology, which is made up of psyche, or uh, our understanding of the mind and soul, and innermost thoughts. And the ology bit is how that works out in our life. Does that make sense to you? Good. Can somebody explain it to me later on then? So by calling Jesus the Word, or Logos, he is saying that he is the reason or force behind all of creation. Does that make sense? That's why he's called the Word. So we come on now to the I Am's. Most of the I Am statements that we have been, been working through occur in John's Gospel and are centred pretty tightly, but not exclusively, but pretty tightly, uh, on his time in Jerusalem, just prior to his betrayal and crucifixion. So he's making some pretty clear statements about who he is. And he's saying, actually, for all to hear, I am God. In doing so, he's pushing the thinking in issue into the thinking of the leaders and, uh, and teachers in the temple, almost on a daily basis. Because they are going to have to either acknowledge his claim to divinity, evidenced by all these actions and miracles and healings that he's done, or they're going to have to do away with him. And Jesus is well aware that they are plotting to kill him. In actual fact, if you read into this gospel that we read, this passage, if you go over just to the next few verses, you will find that when word got back to uh, the J J Jerusalem that Lazarus had been healed, they plotted to kill him as well. Yeah. We've got to have take him out and Jesus. We can't have that. He's raised the dead. 
He's got, we, we've got to take him out. But what does I am mean? By claiming to be I am, he's making a clear statement that he's God. As this is the name or designation that God gives himself in the Old Testament. And as Steve said last week, the Jewish leaders and teachers knew full well what Jesus was claiming to be by making these statements. They knew what he was saying. It was quite clear to them. So now let's just switch our focus to this death of Lazarus. Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus. And they probably, I don't know if he is younger, he doesn't say, but they probably, Lazarus was probably the younger brother. In Luke 10, 38, uh, it tells us that it is Martha's home and that she took her responsibilities as host very seriously. So Martha is actually the matriarch of that home. And even when Jesus came to visit with his disciples and had to be fed, she went to him and complained that on that occasion, Mary uh, was leaving all the work of catering to her so that she could sit uh, and listen, uh, sit at the feet of Jesus. And that exchange, if you read it, seems to indicate that a long-standing friendship. You don't normally involve uh, 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 someone like Jesus in a situation like that. So there, there seems to be... Uh, 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 an implication there that he knew that family very well. Martha appears to be uh, a widow, as no husband is mentioned, and Lazarus has become very sick. So the sisters send a message to Jesus to ask him to come to them. In this passage, in verses 3, 5 and 36, you can look at that for yourselves, uh, it, it tells us that Jesus loved this family very much. Probably, one, he was probably closer to this family than to many, many others. Surprisingly, though, even though Jesus is only a couple of miles away in Jerusalem, he delays his coming for another two days. He delays coming. So the question is, why? Why did he do that? And it leads us on to another question personally. Why does Jesus not answer our prayers even for such good things as people being saved or healed immediately? Have you ever asked that question? You've prayed for something to happen or to, 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 to occur. You've prayed for healing. You've prayed for your friends. You've brought them to, to, to gospel meetings and nothing happens. And you say, why? Why? Why don't you answer prayer? Now the answer must lie in that Jesus sees matters always as part of the bigger picture. It can be hard to be told to wait. But I'm told, my wife is telling me, that, that waiting produces and increases faith and perseverance. Many of you know that we've got our house up for sale and uh, are planning to move back to our family in, in Sussex been up for sale for nearly three months. I would have thought one of you would have bought it by now, um, had a whip round or something, but it's not sold yet. We've not sold it yet. And actually, 
me being me, get very impatient. I'm driving more in mad, actually, absolutely mad. Uh, the schemes are coming up with it. What we could do is, how about if we? And she has to calm me down and you know put me in a quiet corner for a little while in a darkened room and until uh, I quiet down. Because I want to get, I want to be out there and move and do and make things happen. I'm a man who makes things happen. Actually, when you don't do that, you have to actually just rely on God. I've lost myself in my notes now. Where am I, Dorothy? You don't know either. Right. In this case, Jesus wants to demonstrate not only to Mary and Martha and their friends that he could heal sicknesses and disease, but also, because he's done that, but also, also, he was the Lord for, of life for all time. Lazarus, as the scripture tells us, is dead and buried by the time that Jesus arrived. This time it's Martha, the head of the household, who rushes out to meet him. We can sense the sadness she feels and even a reproach in her, her voice when she, perhaps she feels let down that Jesus wasn't there to meet her in a time. If only you had been there. You can read that many ways, can't you? If only, if only you'd been. If only you'd been. If only you had been here. You can, you, you, you can work it through for yourself. If only you had been here, you he would now be living. She even actually brushes off, if you look at it closely, his words of comfort, that her brother will rise again. And she says, yes, 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 I know on the last day, you know, when resurrection comes, whenever that is, yes, we'll all be, but if we've been here, this wouldn't have happened. And so he, there is this sense of there that, 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 that if only... Jesus makes the extraordinary statement that he rules over life and death and the resurrection because of who he is. He doesn't just come and heal. He actually comes saying, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I will raise you all up. And she, for her part, reaffirms her view that yes, he is the Messiah. Interesting in this, pa in, in this passage is not only Martha that needs to understand, but also her sister Mary. Because when she's told he's there, she rushes out and comes out with almost identical statement. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So he's got not one sister, but two of them actually in deep sorrow. And her sorrow and those of, his fr of, of, her fr of her friends is so real that Jesus himself is moved to tears. And we know that Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus looked at them, saw the pain, saw the anguish and wept. He's moved to tears. Perhaps this helps us then to understand that Jesus actually feels for our circumstances today. Do you understand that? The, the old scripture, sometimes you go to the, the old Baptist or a mission hall uh, you have behind it, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And that's true, not, not, not mocking that, that's true. Jesus, this same Jesus who wept when he saw the tears of the Jews and Mary and Martha is the same Jesus that cares for you and for me. But by now, as the Bible tells us, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And in that hot climate, as uh, they point out to him, decomposition would have set in. 
Now, I looked up in some of these commentaries. Apparently, why four days? Why not three days? Why not five days? Well, apparently, I didn't know this. may not even be true. But it was thought by some Jews in that time that actually the spirit hovered over the tomb for three days to see whether it would come back to life again. And it didn't. It would depart to wherever the spirits go. So Jesus waited four days to prove that point. I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway, that's, that's what it says here. Um, a believer's life does not have to wait until the resurrection, as Mary believed, Martha believed, but will continue past death of our mortal bodies into an immortal life beyond the grave. I don't know whether you ever think about death. I, I don't too much, because um, it's coming nearer on the agenda now but I, I but when you think about where do you go what happens to you do you die do you go into a long sleep do you go to be with jesus there's, there's quite an issue here and you've got to make up your own minds but jesus is demonstrating that he can call that life into being whenever and wherever he wishes he has affirmed many times that those who believe in him will not taste death, but have eternal life. Just look at this with me, how many times he actually says this in uh, John's Gospel. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. When you believe, you stop, you cross over from death into life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And certainly Lazarus, though he was dead, heard those voices, that voice. And again he writes in John 6:40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on that last day. We are going to be raised up, says Jesus, on that last day. Again, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And finally, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. They're very clear statements, are they not, about what Jesus is doing. So this Jesus in whom we believe has given us forgiveness for our wrongdoing that deserved death and eternal separation from his life force and instead he's replaced it with life eternal. You are going to live forever. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to die. You, you're going to have life eternal. So knowing that then, this is for us today, knowing that is it right that if we believe this, that we weep for those who've gone from us? Should we cry? Should we sorrow for those 
who've died. And I know Christians who, who find it great, very difficult to bring this into play. You know, I, they're, they're feeling great sadness uh, uh, at loss. But I've got to keep on going because I believe that. No, actually, that's, that's not true. John tells us that many Jews were at Bethany to comfort the family and were mourning with the family. Jesus demonstrates here that sadness and mourning are part of our life and should not be brushed away as if our feelings of loss and separation are not real and painful. They are real and painful. And anybody that's lost uh, a loved one will know the feeling that that brings in. Jesus was moved by the grief that he saw and identified with it. For us today, we may be comforted that our loved one is now with Jesus, but it's also right that we miss them and wish that they were still with us, that we could still enjoy their company and that we miss the love in a glance or sweet caress. Someone cannot be part of your life for months or years or decades without a deep feeling of loss when they are gone. Maureen and I have been married in September for 50 years. And they've been a fantastic time. I have to say that. And this is something you don't know about Maureen. I try and put something in about her every time but, so that you can do it. Because she doesn't reveal much about herself. Uh, but, do you, but one thing that you would never know, but I know, which I think is wonderful for me, um, is that whenever she sees me, her face lights up. Not for long sometimes, but it lights up. <laughs> And uh, on Friday, she went off to Shrewsbury to visit her friends, and um, uh, as she does once a month or once every uh, couple of months or so, and I, I arranged to pick her up at the same... Now, we'd only been back for about four hours, less than that probably, and yet when she came down the stairs at the station, her face lit up to see me, and I thought, oh, isn't that nice? So we do miss... Now, we, when one of us goes... And, and we're, the jury's out which one's going to be first. But when one of us goes, we're going to miss each other enormously. Are we not? Yeah. You're going to, uh, well, you can't have, spend your life with 50 years with somebody. I was talking to a lady at a barbecue last night. Just a conversation over a hot dog in, in, in Chris and Rachel's garden revealed something about a lady, the turmoil that was going on within in her about death and uh, what was happening to her. And these are the sort of things that actually when we're talking to people we have to be mindful of and we need to deal with. We don't, it's not always black and white and I do at times put my foot in it um, as most of you know quite regularly. But it's quite interesting when you talk to people. So in conclusion then, because of the resurrection and the life we we now have a secure and certain hope that our future is secure. Do you understand? Do Do you believe that? Now, I won't give a, I could actually bring a little parade of us oldies up here to show you how our bodies are beginning to decay and move about and disappear. Um, uh, but they, they will weaken, uh, as I can attest, uh, and our strength will fade with age. Um, but the spirit of life that Jesus has put in us will live on. And if I talk to anybody here of any age, if I asked... If I asked Peter, I'm not going to because he might answer. But if I ask Peter, Peter, whatever age you are, 56 or whatever it is, uh, what age do you think you are inside? I'm guaranteed he would come up with a younger age. How old do you see yourself, Peter? 
13. <laughs> there we are. One day you will grow up. But actually, <coughs> actually, actually, if I were to ask each one of you that, those, that question, you would come up with an age that's decades less than you are. Our spirits live on within us. And just as a seed that is planted bears little resemblance to the magnificence of the flower that eventually blooms, so we're told in the Bible our resurrected bodies will bear little resemblance to how we look now with all our imperfections. We are going to be different when we're resurrected. I'm going to be tall for starters, and I'm going to have hair, right? I'm sure about that, I'm convinced. If I'm not, I'm going to have a few words, I think, because this is what I'm looking forward to. Um, And I'm going to be taller than Andrew. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, And physically fit and light. Well, a bit like I am now, I suppose. Okay. Now, you heard this morning uh, that Nigel and Callie went on holiday. And they had, apparently, a wonderful time. Didn't do much. They had a wonderful time. Now, if you were to talk to them about their holiday, you would be very surprised if... Actually, all they talked about was a trip to the airport. Because it's now the holiday season, many people are going on holiday, and that will involve travel so they can reach their holiday destinations. If they're going by air, there may be delays and disruptions. And if you talk to Nigel, even parking his car wasn't exactly uh, problem-free. But if that was all he talked about, you'd be worrying about what sort of holiday he had. Because... If by, it, despite the many ups and downs and maybe the varied scenery, our holiday really begins, does it not, when we get there. So it's when we got to Ibiza that his holiday began, even though there were one or two hiccups on, on the way. Does that make sense to you? All right? That's what life is like. So for us, the ultimate objective in our life is not reaching retirement age, is not having 2.4 children, is not having that jag or whatever it is you or Bentley, sorry, uh, Bentley that, 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 that you want. Our ultimate objective is eternal life in heaven with Jesus. Do you agree with that? Yes. Therefore, it should matter little how bumpy the ride or how long the deep tunnel is before we reach our destination. Our journey will hold no fears for us because the light of life is on the other side. That's what Jesus was saying. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. I am. And if I am in you and you are in me, you too will be resurrected, as the scriptures showed earlier. We started this talk looking at logos. But we've got of famous brands, and as you heard, and I was quite uh, the, the, the Apple logo that I illustrated with has changed. Logos change; they they alter in time. M- most logos change over the years, but the logos do show you, do promise you what you are going to get when you buy that product. But you see, we've also got a logo. It's 2,000 years old. It hasn't changed. It doesn't promise a chocolate sensation. It doesn't uh, uh, promise you a fast food. It doesn't promise you the latest computer. 
It doesn't promise you the ride to ends all rides in a Bentley or a Rolls-Royce. Our logo is a simple cross, which promises life everlasting for all who believe. And it's free for everyone who wants to take it up. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. All that believe in me will not die, but have eternal life. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your scriptures that show us quite clearly who you are, what you are, that show us quite clearly your nature and your love and your grace. And Lord, I just love it that, that, that all the grace and the love that shines through that passage that we've looked at. Father, that you've called us to go on a heavenly journey. Oh Lord, will you give us patience and perseverance uh, as we journey through? Will you help us, Lord, as we talk to this one and that one? Will you t- give us sensitivity when we speak to people and, and discover that in their lives there is sadness and hurt? Lord, you can meet that need. And Lord, as we move towards uh, the autumn and September and October, as we move towards front edge, as we move towards uh, the, the, the course that we're going to do, Father, I just pray you, you keep bringing to mind those people that we meet and talk with, that we can share with, that we can bring into Christianity Explored or something like that, so that they too may know that you are the Lord of life, that you give us life eternal. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.